They only gave me a half a bottle of water. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I rate halfway. I don't know. Anyway, it's good to be here. I'm, I'm blessed to share with you guys what God has put on my heart. And part of it is part of the Apostles' Creed that you have up there. And I'm going to speak about the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. Basically, that, that kind of like covers it all. You know, the Holy Spirit in our lives, the communion of saints, the Holy Spirit that brings conviction for sin in our life and comfort and, and things like that. Uh, in case you don't know me, my name is John, John Connors. By the grace of God, he called me in 1973, I believe it was. And so that makes me, what, about 39, 29, I'm not sure, somewhere in there. And uh, he's kept me by his grace, no glory to me at all. I'm just very grateful that uh, maybe it'll encourage you in case you say, how does God keep you that long? How does it work? Because I thought when I first came to the Lord... Uh, you know, I'm not like the rest of these people. Uh, maybe they're better than me. They're good people. They're, they seem to be brought up on the right side of the tracks. I was brought up on the wrong side of the tracks. And it just didn't make sense that I could be like them. But God is faithful. And when you keep your eyes on the Lord, because it's not about people. It's not about a, uh, a policy. It's not about uh, an organization. It truly is about a living God. Um, he is the living God. And when you put your faith in Him, and only Him, uh, you start experiencing all that He is because He's conforming us into His image. And if you like what Jesus is about, you'll like the way you're turning out. Because that's the person I want to be. Amen? And so day by day, we're getting transformed, conformed into His image by the power of God. And by us surrendering and yielding to what He's doing in our lives. Uh, I'm taking a text from Second Chronicles, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Second Chronicles, uh, chapter 14. And let me begin by making uh, having a couple of quotes here. In Galatians 3:15, Paul addressed the Galatian church about having begun in the spirit, are they now being perfected in the flesh? He begins by saying this in verse 1, You foolish Galatians who has bewitched you before, whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does He, God, provide you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And that's the key. We could all say it's by faith. We heard, we believed, and we received. Uh, It had nothing to do with you being a good person or keeping the laws or anything like that. It's a gift. And you received it, and so you have God in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. That incident came up in Acts 15. It was called the Council of Jerusalem, and the church was in its infancy. And Peter stood up at that point, and it begins this way, and then I'll get back to my text. 
But it tells us in Acts 15.1 that some men came down from Judah and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So what they were trying to do is, Jewish people were being saved, but they were so used to the law of circumcision and dietary laws, that they were trying to bring that into salvation. Well, you can believe in God's grace and be saved, but you've got to be circumcised. Or you've got to make sure you eat certain foods and stay away from bacon and stuff like that, pork. And so this was the critical point for the church, because if the church allowed that, it would have been part works and part grace. And you can never mix the new wine into the old wineskins. It must be the Spirit of God and only the Spirit of God that saves us. And that's the beauty of it. Uh, you don't come to, to a church building because you want to get religious. You've got better things to do than that. Amen? Well, we want to hear from God. We want to experience the love of God. We want to experience the Spirit of God in our lives. Not only here, but outside, on your job, or in your family, wherever it may be. I mean, the presence of the Lord and experiencing Him is, is what it's all about. That's what gives us the joy. So, Peter stood up at that point in verse 8. And here's what his conclusion was. Because, again, the Gentiles were getting saved along with the Jewish people. Gentiles aren't circumcised. Gentiles, meaning us, were never following the dietary laws of of Judaism. And so they were mixing in the the Jews and the Gentiles. and And the Jews wanted them to be circumcised along with faith. So Peter stands up, who was a Jew, uh, a fisherman as well. And he says, God, who knows the heart, testified to them giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. We believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. And thank the Lord that God protected his message of salvation, that it's not Jesus plus baptism. It's not Jesus plus circumcision. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's a matter of just Jesus and only Jesus. Amen? It's His grace and His grace period. And that is the only thing that has kept me, and that's the only thing that will keep you. And that's good news. The Holy Spirit is is the third person of the Trinity, as we know. And He's not a a ghost. He's not an influence. It's a person. Uh, He shall testify of me, Jesus said, when He comes. The Holy Spirit shall convince the world of, of sin and of judgment to come. Uh, the Holy Spirit is, is our friend. He always glorifies Jesus and, and brings to remembrance the scriptures in our mind and in our heart. To be dependent on the Holy Spirit is so important. To be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, speaking to us, guiding us. Uh, teaching us. Amen? We believe in that, right? We have to. It began that way, and it'll continue all of our lives that way. Once we give up on that, we can become like the Church of Galatia, having begun in the Spirit, when it was fresh, it was brand new. You heard from the Lord. People say it's the honeymoon. It's, it's beautiful. But you can try to perfect yourself in the flesh as time goes on. We, we, we start depending more on our own strength, or we start getting used to the Christian language and we start getting used to the things and it becomes a ritual and it becomes religion again. The very thing that we don't want in our lives, the very things that we came out of most of us. How many here were Catholic? Raise your hand, right? (laughs) Why did you leave the church? Get back to... No. (laughs) 
What was good about Catholicism, from my point of view, was it taught me the fear of God. And, and I, it didn't teach me the love of God, didn't teach me the resurrection life of Christ. But it taught me the Ten Commandments, it taught me hell, it taught me heaven, and it taught me a reverence. And I appreciated that, and I still have that reverence in a different way. But I'm so happy I do. You know, I don't know if you remember, but when you went to a Catholic church, I'm getting off the subject for a minute. When you went to the Catholic you had to take off your hat. You guys remember that? You couldn't wear a hat. Women had to put on a little doily and stuff like that. And, you know, you were quiet, and it was, it was a dead church, but you learned reverence. And, and I think that's important in all of our lives, wherever we are. You know, in my church, people come in late. You know, sometimes I, I get on them, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I say, listen, you know, would you do that if you were getting a paycheck from your boss? Um, would you do that when, you know, you're going to get married or you're going to see someone important? Of course not. But what happens is we get sometimes familiarized. And you wind up losing love when you get too familiarized. It's the same way with your, your loved one. If you start taking them for advantage and you start you know saying things in front of them that you normally didn't say when you were first courting you get familiarized you know and that's not good because you're disrespecting though you're not really but you are in any case back to the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is what is we need to stay dependent on to hear his voice to, to receive his power in our lives when we're going to speak to someone about the Lord or to ask him for divine direction or, or um, an anointing when you're going to speak to someone. The Holy Spirit is alive. You know, Tozer, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was a, uh, a prolific book writer, a prophet from the days of... Uh, he was born in 1897. I believe he died in 1973. But if you never read any of Tozer's book, I suggest you read it on holiness and just good stuff. Uh, he calls it like it is. But here's a couple of quotes from him uh, concerning the Holy Spirit. He said, If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on, and no one would know the difference. And if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church... 95% of what they did would stop, and everybody would know the difference. He continues in another one, a book called Day by Day. He said, when the Holy Spirit is in full control of our lives, He will expect our obedience to the written Word of God. But it is part of our human problem that we would like to be full of the Holy Spirit, and yet go on and do as we please. The Holy Spirit is a person. Though we don't pray for the Holy, we don't pray to the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father in Jesus' name. We pray to Jesus. We don't split hairs about you know praying. We just know that we want to talk to the Lord. Our confidence is because of the blood of Jesus. But having a dependency on the Holy Spirit, on the Lord, and that's where I'm going with all of this. Um, as time goes on in my own life. I know that it's pretty tempting at times not to wait on God, not to seek Him in, our, in my prayers, not to hear His voice in a sermon. Uh, I'm going through the book of Mark, and, and I teach uh, book by book, chapter by chapter. But before I do that, I say, Lord, uh, it's okay for me to deviate. you got something different for me to say. I want to hear from you. Well, Lord, what do you have to say in this chapter, I just don't want to give out information. 
I want to see hearts changed. I want to hear from you and have revelation in my own mind and heart. What do you have to say in these scriptures? And, and that's how we approach prayer. And that's how we approach when we read the word of God. You know, in our devotion. Well, what do you have to say to me? Let him speak to you. He'll speak. So, <clears throat> back to the beginning point. Oh, I was waiting for you to get to that point, Pastor. Here we go. There's a person here who's a king. His name is Asa. King Asa. He started off really well. He began in the spirit, if you will. But he didn't end up bad. He didn't end up good. He ended up bad. And it tells us in, in uh, 2 Chronicles 14, verses 8 through 12. Now, let me just give you a little background. He's the king. He's been there for 10 years. Uh, they've been seeking the Lord for 10 years. And the community prospered. They were at peace. When you're seeking the Lord, you're going to prosper. I'm not talking financially, though that could happen. I'm speaking about you're going to have peace. You're going to have peace in your heart. You're going to have peace with people around you. There'll be trials. There'll be tribulations. But you will have the peace of God because God is with you. And so for 10 years, it went well. But then all of a sudden, these Ethiopians came. They wanted to attack them and destroy them. And that's where we begin. Now, Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah. Bearing large shields and spares, spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, bearing shields and wielding bows. And all of them were valiant warriors. So, rounded off, they had about 500,000. Now, Zira, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million. So, that's two to one. And 300 chariots. And he came to Marasha. Mar- now, 300 chariots, back then, it's like saying they had 300 tanks. And Judah here didn't have any tanks. Now, who do you think is going to win a war? Chariots were very powerful uh, vehicles of war. They could break lines, enemy lines. They could run over people. It was an asset. So they had no chariots, but these warriors from Ethiopia had 300 plus a million men. Here's what Asa does. Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up in the battle formation in the valley of Zetha of Marasha, Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, now picture this, they go out to a valley and you have a million men looking at you, warriors and 300 chariots. Do you know what that looks like? A million people. And here you are with half of the size on the other side and no chariots. Would I be shaking my boots? Absolutely. Would I be calling out to God? Most definitely. And that's exactly what he did. And that's exactly what we always do in our time of weakness, in our time of, you know, not having the ability. God, help! And God does help. And so he cries out, it says, he called out to the Lord his God, and, and he said this, Lord, there is no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you, and in your name have come out against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. Notice how he's saying, Lord, let him not prevail against me, but against you. This is your battle, Lord. This is your fight. And you know, for all of us, even for your your own uh, sanctification, it's the battle's fight. Lord, I can't beat this guy down into submission. I'm having issues with my flesh in these areas. It's too strong for me. Lord, this is your temple. Do battle. Give me the grace. And guess what? He does. 
I don't know about you, but I haven't reached perfection yet. Has anyone here reached perfection yet? I don't know if you, you have. I, I see that hand over there. All right. So what happens? We come to the limit. Some people go the other way. They say, this God stuff can't work. And others just say, God, I can't do it. I'm your piece of work. Change me. And that's all he wants from you. And guess what? He does it. He does it in different ways, but he does it. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. Continuing on. He said, O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. And the Ethiopians fled. I think of Paul at that point. Paul, when he wanted a thorn removed from his flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, 19, he asked the Lord three times, Lord, get rid of this. I don't know why it's... Please, Lord. And God heard Paul's prayers all the time. But God said, no, it's to buffet you. It's to keep you from exalting yourself. And he said, my grace, the Lord is... He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For, in, for power is perfected in weakness. And that's the whole key for every Christian. It's okay to say I'm weak. It's not an excuse to, to go deeper into it. But it's okay to say, you know, I, I'm, I'm weak, Lord. I need your power. And the quicker we do that, the quicker we receive his strength. It's freedom. I don't have to put a mask on. I don't have to, you know, try to say, well, I, that could never happen to me. I mean, how many of you guys driving a car get angry on, on the freeway? Not a one of us, right? <laughs> None of us beep the horn. None of us, ah! Well, we all get that way. We all at times get in the flesh. And that's the area that God wants to deal with. But I don't have the power. I say, Lord, help me. And he does. Because in my weakness, his power is perfected. Asa, in his weakness, called out to God. And God routed the enemy all around him. Now here, in chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, the next chapter, is where the seer, the prophet, had a word from the Lord. And he said this, Now the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now let me think for a minute. Doesn't the Bible say, I will never leave you or forsake you? And yet in Hebrews he's referring to, to money. He said, you know, don't put your trust in money. He says, God will never leave you or forsake you. Because money is a strong uh, dependency in our lives rather than God. And that's what happened with Asa at the end. But God will never forsake you. You can forsake him. But he's there for you. It's like the prodigal son. God didn't forsake in the prodigal son story. The prodigal left. God, who was represented as the father, is always waiting. Where are you, son? Where are you? And when he came, he immediately put a robe on him, put a ring, put sandals on his feet. My son was dead, but now he's alive. That's a picture of God the father. So God doesn't forsake you. We at times leave him. And so when he says here that if you forsake God, God will forsake you. It's not like God is trying to get vengeful on you, but you forsake him. That means you're not in his presence. But on the positive side, he said, if you seek him, he will let you find him. And that is the beauty of the Lord. God doesn't give himself cheaply. He, religion gives God cheaply. 
you know, you, you put in money, you know, whatever it may be, and, you know, uh, I'll go to purgatory for a couple of thousand years, you know, uh, cheap, cheap God. But that's not the truth the way God is. God wants you to really love Him. And so you have to seek Him. And it costs us something. It costs me my, some of my time. It makes me have decisions that are costly. Man, I really want to, you know, lay with this, you know, person. Or I really love this person, but I'm not married. And, but yet the Word of God says, no, get married. So it's going to cost me something. God, I love you, so I want to do the right thing. So there's the cost. But the beauty of it is that God shows himself to you when it costs you something. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's true in all of our lives. I remember the time... Many, many years ago, uh, when I was beginning to walk in my Christian walk, and it was at that time uh, Pastor Crandall. John, you remember Pastor Crandall. And it was on 64th Street. And I didn't know if what I was sensing was real about God. I was at a place, is this in my own head? Or is this really God? Is these things that I'm thinking, is it really God or is it in my own head? And I went to Calvary... Uh, I'm calling it a chapel. It's not Calvary Chapel. Calvary Tabernacle. Uh, went there, and I'm sitting on the steps. I go to open the doors, and the doors are locked. And I'm saying, oh, God, what am I going to do now? I want to know. I need to speak to the pastor. Is this real? Is this real? What, or is this all in my head, this whole Christian stuff? And I sat on the steps. I said, oh, God, you've got to help me. Please, let someone talk to me. Someone. And this is, this is God's truth. And as I'm sitting there, someone walks in front of me out of the blue. I don't know where they came from. And uh, he said, you want to speak to the pastor? I said, yeah. Okay, follow me. So he, he took me around the other side to the side entrance. And I go into his office and there's Pastor Crandall. I said, oh, thank you, Lord. And uh, he, he looks and he says... Do you have an appointment? Do you, you, you want to see me? And I said, yeah, I want to see you. And I asked him some questions. But they were looking for someone else. Someone else had an appointment with Pastor Crandall, and they thought maybe he was out front. I don't know if he ever showed or not, but God had an appointment for me. And he heard my prayer. He heard my voice. And this is what I'm talking about when I, I need God to speak to me. And show himself real. And I knew without Pastor Crandall answering any questions of mine. God was showing me, John, I am real. And this is not in your head. I'm alive. And I'm carrying you. And that encouraged me. And I need to hear that more often. And I strive for that at times. And I want to hear from the Holy Spirit. I want to hear from God. If you seek him, he will show himself to you. But it's by faith. And not by your feelings. Uh, to that same story in Second Chronicles chapter 15 in verse 7 now he gives more encouragement to the prophet Hazariah and he says but you speaking to King Asa be strong and do not lose courage for there is reward for your work now when Asa heard these words and the prophecy which Azariah the son of Obed the prophet spoke he took courage he removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities from 
which he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. And he then restored the altar of the Lord, which was in front of the porch of the Lord. He heard a word of encouragement. Don't lose courage, for there is reward for your work. And and I'd like to put that out to all of you saints right here. Because the word of God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. The work of God is still going on in your life and in the lives of people around you. People need to know that the kingdom of God is getting built up in your life as you show the love of Christ. People need to see the morals of your life, the work of God getting built up in your life and in my life. And many times, the work can become tiresome. We can become weary in the, in the work. We don't get tired of God per se, but we get tired of the work. We say, oh God, this is so hard. It's, I'm, I'm so weary. I need, I need more of you. I need more of a touch from you. And the encouraging word is found in Corinthians 15, verse 57 and 58. Uh, Paul said this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Back again to Asa. It's your battle, Lord. Paul said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who always gives me the victory. It may not be today. It may be next week. I don't know when, but I don't have to dwell on the negativism. I can say, thank you, Lord, that you have the victory. Because there is a battle, there is a war, each and every one of us doing the work of God. And he goes on by saying this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. The little that you do, whether you clean a bathroom, whether you come and you support each other here at the church, whether you pray for one another, or you have a Bible study, or you come to a prayer meeting, whatever it may be, that is toiling for the Lord, and God sees that. It's not in vain, church. One day, you're going to get old like John Verde. One one day, we're all going to get old, and the time just flies, and it's gone. And then what do you do? What did you do for the Lord? Don't get giving up. Hang on. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and continue to do the work. So what happened? Well, in Second Chronicles, again, chapter 16, but let me just back up for one second. The prophet said, don't lose courage. And then it tells us that Asa took courage and he removed the abominable idols. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is going forward in spite of fear. Courage is not someone saying, well, I have no fear. No, it's having fear, but yet going forward in spite of it. A fireman going into a building, someone rescuing someone at the risk of their own life. It's not like, well, I'm not scared of this, but they go in spite of it. So they take courage. It's something you've got to take. You choose to take it. And that's what we do. The Lord is with us. I would rather choose to do the work of the Lord than just to give up and say, God, I've had it with you. Let me go back into the devil's world. Let me build his kingdom by not doing nothing here. And that's the story. For evil to to triumph, all that's necessary is for good men to do nothing. That's all it is. So God has called us all as a church, whether you're here or where I am or in another location. This is the body that God's called us to, to build up one another, to encourage one another, to toil, to take courage. Not just to say, well, I still fear fearful. That's okay, but take it because it's the Lord who's with you. So what happened now to King Asa? He was good. He removed all the abominable idols. He got rid of the things that were wicked. 
an encouragement for us. Take courage, get rid of that stuff that you know is not pleasing to the Lord. But as time went on, he started becoming successful. And it tells us now that in his 36th year, in chapter 16, 1 through 4, in the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, the king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, the king of Judah. So keep in mind, Israel is separated. You got the north, it's a civil war. You got the north, the ten tribes. You got the south, the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And so the northern tribes are coming down to attack Judah, King Asa. So what does King Asa do? Well, he sees that the northern kingdom is fortifying this city, Ramah, which is kind of like the high country, and once they get hold of that, they'd be able to come in and conquer Judah. And so Asa, instead of calling on the Lord, he calls on the mercenaries, the king of Syria. It reads this way. Verse 2, Then Asa brought out the silver and the gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and he sent them to Ben-Hadadad, the king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, and between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Basha, the king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadadad listened to King Asa, and he sent commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Later on, we'll read in a few minutes that the prophet rebuked him for doing that. But what did he do? Instead of calling out on the Lord, as we read in these next verses, as he did with the Ethiopians, he took the monies from the treasuries of the house of God, and he bought some mercenaries, the king of Aram, Syria, to fight for him Instead of having the Lord fight for him. And I see an analogy there for us as Christians. The house or the treasuries of the Lord are you and I. The house of God, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit now and so am I. And the treasuries that God places in us is the gold and the silver. What is that? That's faith. It tells us here that one day we'll be judged gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. It'll be burned up in the fire and whatever remains uh, will be your reward in heaven in, in Corinthians. God also tells us concerning uh, faith in Revelations. He tells us that buy from me uh, gold refined by the fire so that you may become rich. He was speaking to the church of Laodicea that said, hey, we're rich. We got it all together. You know, we got clothing. We got money. We don't need of anything. And the Lord said, no, you're blind. You're poor and you're wretched. Buy from me gold refined from, as from fire. What is gold refined from fire? Is it literally gold? No, it's faith. Your faith gets tested as pure gold, he tells us in Peter. It gets tested, and, and, the, and the stuff on top is, is the stuff that, that, the sludge that God removes from our life so that our faith gets stand. But our faith gets tested. Asa's faith was getting tested. And instead of calling out to the Lord, he sold out his faith. The gold and the silver is your faith. And you could sell your faith out. God has invested. You've got many victories in your life by walking with the Lord. You sense His presence through faith. That's the gold. But yet sometimes when we get tested, we give it up. Well, 
Let me trade it off right now and, and let me buy some of this world. Let me give up the things of God that he's invested in my life. The love, the purity, the honesty, the loyalty. Let me give that up just to, to hang out or just to have a little victory in this flesh of mine. And that's what King Asa did. And you know it's sad, but you think you could always get it back. But many times it doesn't come back. Not like it was. A man committing adultery with his wife. Sure, it can be restored, but man, there's a hole there. There's a scar there. There's a love that you lost at that point. Best not to even go there. Stay faithful to the Lord because the devil is a liar. Can I get an amen to that? And he'll try to buy you off. But why did Asa do this? That was my question. Why? It's because he started getting dependent on himself. No longer was he dependent on God. He became strong. He wasn't weak. He had much in his treasuries in the monetary sense. He had much in his army now. He's been established. And he didn't need God as much. Isn't that like a great picture of us at times? You know, at the beginning of our walk, we need you so bad, God. But then you get a job, you get a wife, you get kids, you get this, that, and the other thing. And yeah, I got God. Let's say our grace, you know, and that's it. But I don't need him as much. That is an opening to, to fall. A case in point was King David. It tells us that King David was supposed to go out to war when kings did at the time. But instead he stayed back. And that's when he noticed Bathsheba. He was supposed to be at war with his men. But he stayed back. And that's when he was open to see Bathsheba naked. And she was probably displaying herself for him as well. And he committed that sin. He should have been out there fighting. And many times in our own life, you know, once you start getting established in the Lord, whether it's a year, you're following God, two years, three years, you can become slack in our dependency on God. When you should be fighting in prayer, when you should be loving and going forward, we can get slack. Ah, you know, I got others to do that. You know, I, I, I'm okay. Let him, let her, let whatever. And we become slack in our, in our battles. And that's when the devil can take advantage of you. When you're not in motion, when you're not in the spirit of love, when you're not exercising and depending on God, but you're depending on the strength of yourself or on others. So King Asa sent some of the monies from the house of God, the gold and the silver, to Ben-Hadadad, and they won the battle. But then the prophet said to him in verse 7 through 9, And at that time, Hananiah, another prophet, the seer, came to King Asa of Judah and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Well, what do you mean by that? You see, they were enemies. But sometimes, you know, we try to use the world for spiritual things. The world that is against God can never be a friend. He who's friends with the world, the Bible says, is an enemy with God. You know, we're not monks. We don't separate ourselves and live like, you know, I'm not in the world. Yeah, you're in the world, Jesus said, but not of it. And so here we see that King Asa made friends with Ben-Hadad, the world, the enemy, uh, thinking that he was going to victory. But it was, wasn't a spiritual victory. It was just a fleshy victory. And so he was rebuked for that because he relied 
on man rather than on God. And he continues by telling them this. Therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Ethiopians, he brings back to his memory, the Ethiopians and the Lubin and the immense army with very many chariots and horsemen. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. He began in the spirit, and he's trying to perfect himself in the flesh. He began dependent on the Lord, but now he was starting to get dependent on the world and on people rather than having faith in God. The the eyes of the Lord are always looking to and fro for someone whose heart is looking towards Him. Individually, He's looking at your heart and my heart. Always. He's always looking for someone who will have faith. Someone who will exercise belief in God. Someone who will rise up. Someone who will take a stand. Someone who will just say, God, it's you and only you. He's looking. And he continues by giving him this rebuke in verse 10 of 16. Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison. For he was enraged at him for this. That was his pride. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. And in the 39th year of the reign of Asa became diseased in his feet. Now listen to this. His disease was severe, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Man, you can get hard. When you let pride take over, and someone corrects you, rather than receiving it, you reject it, you get hard. He threw him in prison. I don't want to hear from that Christian. Who does he think he is? And then not only that, but he was hard against all the people. And that's what happens when a person gets bitter towards God. They get bitter towards all the people of God. They throw you in prison in terms of, ah, who is they? They they, they rag on you. But notice the hardness of his heart. Even when his feet got so severely diseased, it says he didn't even call out to God then, but he called on the physicians. He was still looking for man's help rather than God's help. I pray that I would never come to that place. Am I susceptible to that? Yep. Am I susceptible to getting a heart hard? Absolutely. Am I susceptible to losing my first love or leaving my first love? Absolutely. What can keep me from doing that? Well, here's just a few pointers and we'll, we'll close with that. How do you and I stay dependent on the Holy Spirit, on God? Well, it tells me this, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three. The greatest is love. Abide in faith. Abide in love and abide in hope. These three. Sometimes we lean in the hope area, sometimes in the faith area, sometimes in the love. But abide these three. But you need faith. Galatians tells us that it's faith working through love. You show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. The works of love. That's going to show you my faith. James tells me this concerning love. We love because he first loved I hear that tambourine. That's a good one. I think that's the sign. You got a half a bottle of water. Come on, John. You can't stay here forever. We love because he first loved us. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I love because I know he loves me. A wretch like me. And I don't say that, you know, with that, you know, I guess self-glory, pity. Oh, he loves poor me. I know who I am and I know he loves me. I don't want to stay at times the way I am, but I know he loves me like you love a child. Not because they're perfect, but they're yours. So it tells me I love because I remember his love for me. And then Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his own love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not because you were a good man or a good woman. And then this last one tells me, by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Listen to this. By faith, we understand. Not that we understand and then have faith. But by faith, we understand. If you're waiting for understanding before you have faith, you're missing the whole point. Faith comes first, and then you understand. Well, why should I go forward? Why should I do this? I don't understand. You don't have to understand. Just come to Christ. You don't have to figure him out. His ways are higher than your ways. But he is what he is. Amen? And he said he's never going to leave me. He says he loves me. He says he's God. He says he is and he's coming back. And I'm looking for his return. So in the meantime, church, take courage. Continue the work that God has called you to do here at this place. Continue to love, continue to activate your faith, and continue to seek God through the Holy Spirit because He's alive. And don't ever think that you can be independent, that now that I've made it, I can now depend on myself. No way, Jose. Is there a Jose here? (laughs) Sorry. No. You don't have to depend on yourself anymore. Just say, God, I'm done. I want you. And maybe Pastor Crandall will come around and get you from the steps one day too. But however he does it, God does it if you stay dependent on him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. And thank you that we do love because you first loved us. God, sometimes it's hard. And we grow weary. We need words of encouragement. And your Holy Spirit is here to comfort to exhort, to give us a word of, of, hey, you're doing okay. Help us, Lord, to change gears if we're looking at the glass half empty. Help us to understand, hey, I've been bought with the blood of Christ. I'm a free man. Help us to enjoy love and give it out, Lord, and give it out by faith. And not wait till we understand, but just give it out by faith. And Lord, even as time goes on, help us not just to look for our own um, wisdom. But no matter how good we get or how blessed we get, may we always be dependent on you and never sell the treasures that you have given us of faith in our heart for the things of this world. In Jesus' name we say, Amen. Amen. God bless.